Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Saludos, amigos. <laughs> you in Tijuana today, huh? It's a remote. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm having that corona moment, you know, on the beach. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing this. Oh. It's hot out. Yeah. Yeah. Summertime. Summertime. Thermal load. I'm telling you. Your thermal load is high? I'm, uh, my thermal load is high. You know. That's what she said. <laughs> And and uh, there's there's a thing about thermal load affecting oh, beer stability. Oh, right. Yep. I was talking with uh, Vinny, and uh, we were talking uh, brewery design, and uh, you know um, how how wort is boiled and all that. And um, uh, he was talking about uh, how thermal load and the design of the the brew plant can affect. The stability of the beer later on, which was news to me at the time. And then uh, we got to talking about also thermal load as it affects uh, various specialty malts. So certain specialty malts have more thermal load when they produce them. And that also affects uh, the uh, flavor stability, flavor stability, right? The the appearance of staling uh, in a beer. So... Uh, John and I came across this uh, very interesting paper, which uh, kind of uh, goes through a lot of the the literature that's available, and uh, uh, you know, kind of consolidates it into some interesting uh, notes. And uh, there's some guy's uh, PhD uh, paper, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. thesis sort of thing. Two two hundred and seven pages or whatever it was, two hundred fifty <laughs> yeah. pages. Uh, about thermal load and uh, flavor stability. So instead of you having to read it, uh, John and I thought we would kind of uh, distill it down, or John would distill it down, and then uh, <laughs> and we drink homework it. assignment for John, yeah. right? And I would uh, I would drink uh, while he talks and tasty talk. Yeah, perfect. Oh, well, wait a minute. This sounds sounds flawless. Maybe another listener. Well, this is this is this is like a show of my dreams. <laughs> Well, all right. So, why do we care? Why? Yeah. Why? Well, all right. So, why do we care? Well, because you want your beer to taste, you know, as fresh as it can, as, as long, long as, as it can. can, right? Right. For sure. Right. And um, you might notice that some of the beers that you make, some of them seem to taste stale faster than others, and you're like, well, why? What? What? What changed about it that made this beer more stale than you know the other or you know, um, I think I think it's we've funny. all come across that. A yeah? brewer was I was talking to a brewer just recently, maybe yesterday or the day before, and he said, "Yeah, his beers are good for about a week, and then they go south." This could be something uh-huh. to that effect. Uh, yeah, it might be. I didn't. Next time I'll say, "Well, how vigorous or how long is your boil?" Be right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's a real life. Well, there's, problem. A, there's a lot of different ways for beers to go stale. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, um, you know, but the, this this paper. Um, talks about the effect of thermal load as it affects beer staling. So you have thermal load, you have oxygen in the package, you know, in the bottle or in the keg uh, that can promote staling. And uh, so we're we're not really looking into the oxygen effects. Um, It's more of the effect of, you know, boiling the crap out of it that uh, and how that affects the beer flavor stability. Although the two are inter, intertwined as intertwined, well. Intertwined, yeah. Uh, some of the oxygen is working on some of those compounds that you get from high thermal load. And, well, so uh, some of the thermal load that uh, 
you know, you, you always get thermal load from boiling, right? Right. And you also get it in the mash. You get it from malting. You get it from all that. Everything along the process that implies heat. And so a lot of these things are created uh, already, but it's just the amount of them of some of these compounds becomes greater the more thermal load you add. So the the idea being, well, you know, how do you avoid, you know, too much thermal load? Yeah. Yeah. How do you avoid, how do you reduce the potential for staling in the beer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and for for some of our, our new uh, brewers out there, John, why don't you kind of quickly recap, you know, why we boil at all? If, if, Sure. Thermal load could be a bad thing. Why are we boiling anyways? Okay. Well, we boil wort for several reasons. Um, one is, you know, of course, for the hops and the bitterness uh, character in the beer. Um, we also do it to develop certain flavors in the beer, you know, for the malty flavors uh, from Maillard reactions and so on. Those are very much um, part of the, the beer experience. Um but along the way, we will also be boiling off um, some of the volatile flavor compounds that can be off flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, one example of this is DMS or the cooked corn, cooked mm-hmm. vegetable, cabbage flavor that is a sulfur compound that you want to get rid of. And um, then the final reason, of course, is to you know, bring the wort gravity um, up a few notches uh, to make a, a stronger beer. So... Um, a lot of uh, what we're doing in terms of the boil uh, is affected by the intensity of the boil. Mm-hmm. And um, well, and the we, things you can in- control on a homebrew scale of boil is your intensity of how much how much heat you're applying, right? And how long you're applying it, right? So, in terms of like, let's go back to the volatiles thing, you know. Um, talking about DMS, the, the cooked corn flavor. Um, Pilsner malts, very low kilned malts, malts that don't have much thermal load in them, uh, ha- have uh, much more DMS precursor in them. SMM. And therefore, it takes longer to boil uh, that precursor out. And so, very often, we recommend um, a 90 minute boil if you're brewing uh, with Pilsner malt compared to, say, pale ale malt or Vienna malt, where more of this precursor has been uh, eliminated during the malting process. Or reduced it to some extent. And yes. with the, the, the more highly modified the malt, the more SMM is there. Yes. Uh, just because of, uh, you know, the desire for highly modified malts these days. Yeah. So while, you know, very often we talk about 60-minute boils in terms of hop utilization, Mm -hmm. uh, a 90-minute boil is better to help eliminate um, DMS Mm -hmm. uh, and other volatiles that uh, can affect the flavor of the beer. Well, and let me tell you this. Tasty and I, as homebrewers, always went with a 90-minute boil. Yeah. Uh Always focused on the 90-minute boil instead of the 60 um, at Heretic, we're doing everything sixty minute unless it's like a all Pilsner malt, like the Hellas, and then we go ninety. So we stick with that. Um, let's let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, Tasty, maybe you can you can tell us uh, about your ninety minute boil, what you're what you're looking for, sure. what what you've experienced by going to the shorter boil. All right, we're back right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack 
stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new Brew Easy. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz, the forum, the learning center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a Certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. Right, we're back. <laughs> um, tasting uh, some of Tastically's uh, collab yeah, with uh, Central Coast. Yeah, it's a beer called Facilitator. We, I brewed it down there with them a few weeks ago. Session nice. session IPA kind of thing? Session IPA, 4.5%. 60 IBUs. Hmm. It's a lot, that, of, uh, lot of mosaic. Mosaic, yes. Yeah, big mosaic. Uh, Noah's. Yeah, nice beer. Yeah. That's a good job. I, I picked the... Always pick good brewers when you do a collaboration, you know? Oh, yeah. That's a smart move. Yep. There you go. That's why Heretic doesn't do a whole lot of collaborations. It's hard to no, find nope. anybody that's worth their shit. Huh? <laughs> no, nobody picks us. I think that's it. You know, hey, uh, uh, speaking of, cla- speaking of uh, collaborations, and I'm fortunate to be involved in one, that, that's intact, right? I don't care if Mitch uh, right. uh, never uh, gets involved in beer again. Right. He's still right. on the team, right? That's all oh, cool, right? absolutely. Okay, good. Because it was always... It was about people, not it about brands. It was the, the three of us yeah. as friends. Right. It had nothing to do with Stone, really. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So yeah. the fact that Mitch is uh, leaving Stone, that doesn't matter. And if he go, he starts his own brewery, still doesn't matter. <laughs> that makes it he, better. I don't he has agreed in, in I, th- I think we wrote it out in blood. Oh. Uh, we... Through like a pentagram, pentagram and all sorts of circles, stuff. Candles. Sacrifice the pinky cats. promise. The pinky swear. There's <laughs> multiple kinds of churches, Bevo. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, Worship is worship. Right. right. <laughs> and, and so uh, he worship is locked God. in until one of us dies. Oh, that's right. That's that, the pact. That is our agreement. That's the pact. All right. The pact. All right. The well, blood that's a- swear. A long-term deal, I hope. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like a knock on particle wood. Yes. Um. Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of got distracted there. Yes. Yeah, so, oh yeah, you were asking me. Uh, Your what, what about my ninety minute? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, when I moved, from, I don't remember when I moved from 
Extract to All Green, and I was a uh, reader of uh, Byron Birch's book because it was so long ago. That was one of the few that was there. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, that, yeah, yeah, when you go from extract to all green, you have to boil an extra 30 minutes because that's what the guy who was making your extract already did for you. Right. He basically right. put that, well, maybe mm-hmm. in this case, I'll say thermal load into the product, right? right. So why should you uh, mess it up and uh, caramelize all that uh, mm-hmm. uh, liquid or uh, dry malt extract? Right, right. Uh, so that's what I did. I, so I did, you know, for ales or, or lagers, same thing, same treatment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, never shortened it. I, every, you know, I fortunately get to get into a lot of commercial breweries and watch or help them brew or maybe a collaboration. Uh, and they're all doing 90 minutes, mm-hmm. you know. I've seen a few that are 75, but they're mostly are 90. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of them 60. Do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what um, you're doing on your ales. And, of course, you've got a lab, and you're looking at the product, and you're not finding mm-hmm. anything in your mm-hmm. packaging. And right. you have, I don't have any reason uh, to, to change that, I assume. No. Um, you know, and uh, I, I, when I was home brewing, yeah, I went to 90 Minutes also. Mm-hmm. And just because it was easy, and the beer always turned out great. and yeah. So... I wonder, you know, John, have they did they quantify in the paper really whether it is more the amount of heat being added, uh, you know, over a great amount of time uh, over the entire time? Or is it related more to the intensity of heat at any given time? Or is it uh, so what I'd say is yeah. when I did a 90 minute boil as a home brewer, I always went to the lowest boil i could go i went to just gently boiling i didn't okay. go you know wort leaping out of the kettle more than simmer right. less than more leaping. than simmer right but it was it was closer boiling. to simmer than leaping it was bubbling yeah yeah rolling. exactly a rolling boil which is to yeah. me where nothing leaves the surface it right. just shows a bump and yeah it goes away. it's just yeah little bumps and yeah, yeah. Okay. uh mm-hmm. but not simmering simmering's only little tiny bubbles come yeah, up you know yeah. and so uh i did that for the 90 minutes and I think, uh, you know, if I had really poured the heat on for 60 minutes, it may not have turned out as good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've always done basically a 60 minute, although it's more like 75, because I, would, I often would wait. I would start boiling and wait for the hot break to occur and then Count add that. my 60-minute hot addition. So, right, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was more like a 75, I suppose. Um in the paper, they don't really go into that, at least from the parts I read. Um, what they do, though, is they quantify thermal loading by um, the length of boil, the boil temperature, and then a second factor on uh, the boil that encompasses the boil intensity and the type of equipment that the boil is being done in. Mm-hmm. Um the boil intensity uh, we kind of alluded to this a minute ago is, you know, th- basically the difference in temperature between the thing, your heating medium, whether it's direct fire, you know, gas under it, or a steam jacket, or you know, herms, um, or you know, I mean, some whatever your heating medium is, what the difference in temperature between uh, that and the word is, right. How hard you're boiling it, how much overheat you're applying to it. Right. So when you have a direct flame on the bottom of the kettle, that's going to apply more heat load or more, you know, a a higher differential heat than if you're using a uh, steam-based heating system, which is going to max out at, you know, 250 degrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Steam is, you know is therefore a steam jacket is therefore kind of a better gentler boil less heat intensity mm-hmm. than direct fire hmm. uh direct fire being you know more localized and you know you're right at that surface mm-hmm. um you're generating you know very high temperatures that are you know have a lot of intensity whereas steam jacket is you know more distributed and has a lower delta t so mm-hmm. uh it's less heat intensity um I guess, you know, from – so to a home brewer, uh, to reduce the intensity of the boil, uh, you're looking for a burner that has a wider flame distribution. Bigger you surface know. area. 
Yeah, a bigger surface area to, to spread that heat over, so mm-hmm. you don't have to. It doesn't have to be uh, as intense a flame. So those people to, using that jet burner, where it's just like a, <laughs> putting a propane torch on the bottom of the kettle, right? That's that's probably the the one you don't want then. Yeah, for this, heats it very case. fast, but it's a lot of thermal load mm-hmm. and a lot of darkening and so on. Mm-hmm. So, so, th- uh, so that delta. You don't uh, want a dark load. That's yeah, what yeah, I. That's uh, what I just heard. So your doctor. <laughs> that's a medical topic if for another show. Out, if it comes out brown, black, or bloody, you got a problem. I don't think you got to be a doctor to. Really <laughs> I was once given a questionnaire that that asked me that. You know. So, like in the case of the the jet burner, John. Yeah, you see, you got a really intense hot spot there, and that metal's, well, you know, without any any uh, liquids to to me take the heat away, it's going to go up to like three, you know, really hot, like you know, three hundred degrees, right? Right. So th- that's like so that's the you know whatever that flame's capable of putting onto that metal, that's essentially where how hot that is. Yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's where you're 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 definitely um, affecting the word constituents um, right there to that interface. So, and uh, yeah. generating a lot of the, the lot of the boil the compounds that uh, can be precursors for staling. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't think people should freak out and go, "Oh my God!" and throw away their burners like right now. But yeah. I but think I, I, it's the, the takeaway to, here is to understand mm-hmm. h- how intensely you're boiling your wort. Right. Yeah. We always say, you and I, that you know we're looking for a medium rolling boil. Mm-hmm. You know, not leaping out of the kettle, not simmering, mm-hmm. medium. Right. And um, and we're really talking about the effect of, uh, you know, long term, you know, the, yeah. the flavor stability long term, not, you know, if you're going to drink this in a week or two, it doesn't really matter so much. Right. But, right. You know, if you're gonna, but if you're going to send it off to a competition and then they're going to keep it for three days at warm and right, right. Uh, heat yeah. it up and cool it down a couple of times and... Put it on the best of show uh, table. Yep. You're going to want to make sure that you don't have these precursors. Right. Yeah. If you want to win, I think that you know this is another little uh, you know tool in the toolbox that might uh, yeah. might make the difference between best of show and you know mm-hmm. uh, you know thanks for for participating. Now that I think about it, you know whatever you were bull you were doing because you've had beers that you're running in competitions that were like over a year old. Yeah. Some of these styles <laughs> weren't styles that are meant to be kept like over that long. Right. And they were right. scoring well, winning. Metals at being a year old, like yeah. I don't know, styles like Hefeweizen or something, just like beers I would never, like a Scotch ale or something, beers right. that are right. real delicate, you'd enter those same beer three, four years in a row. Well, because the more stale they got, the more, <laughs> right. the That's more right. people, you know, right. were looking for that. People were that calibrated character. to stale beer yeah, from, exactly. from Europe, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think that happened a lot of times. So, so you just keep getting right old. I was just like, well, I'll just hold on to it because it's too fresh now. People, it won't win. It's too fresh. So once it gets old, then then it'll win medals. It's all comparison at some point, huh? Yeah, isn't that isn't that funny? It was it was it's just the the horrible thing about uh, the competition. Um, well, and you know, people talk about uh, homebrew flavor. I always attributed it to. Uh, you know, lack of good fermentation, but uh, you know, it might also be related to this, you know, thermal loading, mm-hmm. staling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, John, what happens exactly when we boil the crap out of our our wort? Well, to, to excess. Yeah, you're generating a lot of compounds, both volatile and non-volatile. Volatile meaning they boil off, and um. As we mentioned, the the DMS precursor SMM is one example of a, a volatile uh, compound. There's a lot of others that are like given various names, pyrazines, and you also generate ketones and aldehydes um, that uh, can also participate in these staling reactions later. Mm-hmm. Um, the let's see, this isn't exactly what you asked, but. Um, in general, you're producing um, a, these ketones, aldehydes, volatile compounds, also intermediaries in the Maillard reactions, you know, these browning reactions between simple sugars and proteins. Um, and so all this, you know, molecular soup is floating around in the boil. Um, the, the longer you boil the wort... Uh, in general, the more of these compounds you will produce. 
However, the longer you boil, you will, the more of these compounds, the volatile compounds, you will also evacuate from the work. Right. That was so, one of the things in the paper that I found interesting, which backed up how I was going about it is, if you're boiling at all, even almost a, a simmer will release those volatile compounds. Right. You don't need a, a, a super hard boil. It's just you know, some boiling, it's it's getting it up to temperature and then, you know, having some activity to stir the, the wort. Yeah, and you, need, you need convection in mm-hmm. the wort. Because there's systems where they just heat it up not to boiling mm-hmm. and they kind of stir it around or they, you know, or they transfer it over, a, you know, a plate to heat it up and let it off gas and, and that's all they do. And you mm-hmm. don't necessarily even have to boil it. So, um, you know, a gentle boil, I think it's the, the thing we should be, you know, encouraging people. A gentle boil and maybe, you know, maybe the 90-minute gentle boil is, is the way to go. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, I think the, the end of the paper uh, quantified that a little bit or characterized that a little bit in saying that um, for best results, you want to get the most evaporation with the least amount of energy input possible. Mm-hmm. So... Um, a, a system where it flows the wort, you know, hot wort over a plate, a l- large surface area, so you get good volatilization and good, mm-hmm. m- you know, total movement of the wort over that surface. And evaporation. Yeah, and evaporation. Mm-hmm. That's that's ideal. Or under um, a vacuum. In, have a vacuum in the head. In the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or at an altitude. I think in terms of professional brewing systems, uh, the Calandria, you know, China hat kind of mm-hmm. uh, boiler is a very good example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in a home brewing situation, you know, um, a wide, shallow pot would be better for this evaporation than a tall, narrow pot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in terms of home brewing, yeah, a gentle boil where you're not putting an intense thermal load on the word but at the same time you need to have good convection good um transport of the wort to the surface mm-hmm. where these vol these volatile compounds but can could, could you effectively ass- off gas assist that with a spoon yeah or a, res- a pump research or something mm-hmm. yeah or you know or just or bring up that boil so you see good movement of the right. wort at the surface. Now, a pump recirculation can also add another kind of stress to the to the wort, right? That's true. Yeah. So there's the, there's it's it's funny all the the things that uh, you know we think of in order to to help or not. Uh, the the paper also talked about um, thermal load in the mash as well, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the carryover some of those compounds that related it all to pH. And different pHs, and uh, you know, ones that helped, and it seemed like everything was kind of a mixed bag. And and ideally, you just want to stick with you know the traditional pH ranges that we're all taught are proper for the mash and for the boil. Right, right. Yeah, you go too high in pH over six, even up to pH over eight that mm-hmm. the paper looked at. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you get a lot more of these these compounds. Uh, causing staling. Um, likewise, if you go um, below four, then you know very low pHs. Uh, you also stress the word that way mm-hmm. in terms of this the staling and thermal loading. So, um, yeah, again, as you say, you know pHs in the fives seems to be the sweet spot, and a beer pH between four and four point five also seems to be a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of overall flavor, beer flavor stability, I'll tell you one of the uh, things I liked about the Lamotte kit that we got. Oh yeah, it had actually a really nice pH meter in it. It does. And, um, uh, my guys love that thing, and uh, and we go through pH meters like you wouldn't believe. I buy like five a year, and um, that one very durable. Nice and accurate. We've, we've had uh, good good results with that one, and yeah. uh, I've been very pleased with the Lamotte uh, products overall. They've got their. Uh, I've, uh, when we did the AHA rally, we gave away some of the uh, the homebrew kits. What are those called, John? The Brew Lab. 
The Brew Lab. And then they have the Brew Lab Plus, and that includes uh, a pH meter, right? Right. And then uh, they've got the, the Pro version. Right. Um, what do they call that one? It's a d- uh, dissolved oxygen meter as well. Oh, and it includes a DO meter, right. And and uh, uh, in all honesty, they gave us that to uh, to try out. I think I, I, I hinted very vigorously that they should give <laughs> should us give one. one to try out. And then I think you told them to give us one. Yeah. And I think then we finally got one. Uh, and really, it wasn't that I questioned the quality of their product. It was that uh, I'm cheap, and I like to get things for free. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? And if you like it, right. you'll mention it. Oh, I tell you, we use it regularly. Nice. This Our lab uh, tests our water uh, on a regular basis, and uh, you know, at least once a week. And we make adjustments to our brew process based off of that. And you taste your fermented beer, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you test it as well. So I love those Lamont products. If you're if you're interested in, uh, uh, you know, testing your water, I would highly suggest you you consider the uh, Lamont uh, series of kits. John, you even did some uh, testing to see uh, the accuracy of the Lamont kits. Yeah, I ma- I prepared some stock solutions and uh, tested them, and they were right there in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the resolution of the of the test of the test methods in the Lamont kit is, uh, you know, 10 ppm per drop. Mm-hmm. So you can have that plus or minus 10 ppm. But, you know, if you're talking about total alkalinity of 120, mm-hmm. maybe it's 110, maybe it's 130. But that is close enough to really get a handle on yeah. the process. Dial in what you're doing. Yeah. 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 No, uh, we've, we've been real, real pleased with it. And uh, I, I highly recommend them. I don't really get paid anything for saying that, but uh, I did get the free Lamont kit, and I think it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm. I've been very pleased with it as well. I would end up buying one, honestly, if uh, we didn't get one for free. So yeah. there you go. Well, they last a long time, don't they? You haven't had to re- get another one. No, we've had that for a long time, and we haven't had added any more reagents to it. Um, boy, when did we get that? That must be coming up on a year, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've used that thing. Weekly for a year, and yep. I don't think we've had to. Uh, it's going to depend on your water, of course. Some of those things are it, it takes more to uh, more reagent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I've I've been very pleased. All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, more about uh, thermal loading and beer flavor stability. Right after this. <laughs> Army, have you heard the latest at Hop Tech? Since Hop Tech has doubled in size after a huge expansion, Jade and Roberto can stock even more of the best quality homebrewing supplies and equipment. Over 60 kick-ass varieties of hops and malts, monster truckloads of quality brewer's yeast, including White Labs, Y-Yeast, and multiple dry yeasts. They even have all grain systems from Grainfathers and Ruby Street Brew Systems, thanks to Jade, the brand new all grain brewer. And don't forget about their 10% discount to all BN Army members. Jade and Roberto are waiting for you and all of your brewing questions over at hoptech.com. Hoptech, totally not sucking since 1983. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishef, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at HereticBrewing.com. 
Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients, backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging, but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific Time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. First Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can, featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Suck it, JP. <laughs> Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right. So, John, talk to me. What, what's a Strecker aldehyde? Ah, okay. A Strecker aldehyde is an aldehyde that's created by decomposition of... Uh, an amino acid to through Strecker degradation to an aldehyde. One example of this is trans tunanol, which is the source of the cardboard flavor that we have in stale beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's basically it. And so Strecker aldehydes are are created during the wort boil. Um, they're also created during beer storage. You know, they, it's part of the stale whole saline. Uh, mechanism, um, and uh, yeah. like, and are, are crystal malts uh, more apt to produce those compounds, or are, let's just say malts with a higher thermal load when they arrive at your brewery? I'm not sure about that. It could be. Um, uh, Jamil, did you get, gather that from the paper at all? I'm sorry. If I'm... the uh, if the crystal malts. Uh, <laughs> Have more Strecker aldehyde. Yeah, wouldn't we have more of that compound through the process that they've already been to with the molster? Um, he meant the guy probably didn't cover that. Yeah, I, I don't know that that was clear in there. Um, you know, it's it's the the degradation of the amino acids. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I would think that um, um. That you may not. I, I don't think that that would be in the, yeah, in the in the crystal malts and stuff like that. I think you would get that after, um, the mash, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think post mash. Although yeah. you know, with a you know a crystal malt, it's essentially mashed in the in the in the husk. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it could be. Yeah, the paper looked at. Uh, aldehydes in general, trying to see if um, other aldehydes uh, reacted with amino acids to form staline compounds the same way that transtunanol does. Um, but they, they, their tests didn't find that. Um, apparently, uh, this Strecker degradation only applies to uh, a few specific aldehydes and not a lot no. You know, a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of different kinds, apparently. Um, they also said that 
aldehyde release was greatest in beers that had the highest boil intensity, but not necessarily the, the highest thermal load. Um, and one way that they calculated total thermal load was uh, uh, grist composition. So I think this does point to the malt mm-hmm. question, yeah. um, where if they added up the total thermal load as a function of boil time, intensity, composition, pH, mm-hmm. and uh, equipment, they didn't see a, they didn't see a real strong correlation with total thermal load, but they did see a correlation with aldehyde release with boil time. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that uh, I've noticed, and and I think a lot of others have noticed, is that uh, certain certain recipes for beer will exhibit uh, staling character, especially yeah. you know certain crystal malts and things like that will exhibit More staling character. Yeah. yeah, much much quicker than uh, something that is like a a stout with no crystal malt. I mean, seems really? real stable. Um, you know, a, a you know much lighter color beer with no crystal no malt, crystal. Uh, more stable. So, you know, it it really points to you know certain malts adding to that that character, or at least accentuating the appearance of that character. Yeah, I think Crystal Sixty has long been regarded <laughs> as being more susceptible to staling yeah. than other crystal malts, both. Lower color and higher color, mm-hmm. and I that agree. may be yeah. part of it. Heard that a long, long time ago. Yeah, I've never seen it in a recipe, unless it was an old recipe. Right, and, and right. nobody uses crystal sixty. I don't know. Huh? Maybe the English fifty-five, but uh, right, right. Domestic sixty. I don't think. I'm trying to think. I think I have some recipes with sixty. Yeah, it. but those are the old ones that you developed like a long time ago. That they were, sixty <laughs> was really popular because you could use less of it. You know, right? Like oh, I can only you know just need like. Four ounces. And well, uh, I think anything that had sixty in it, I ended up, uh, you know, trying various things, and I, I think I ended up if I had sixty, I ended up going with forty and eighty. No, oh. <laughs> see, just to, uh, to keep away from it. I see. Well, not to keep away from it. I, the sixty. Would... I think you know, at, at that point, it wasn't. Well, I'm staying away from sixty because I had not really heard that. I think. I think uh, I was just like, well, I like the flavor contribution of it better. It's it's a little more complex. You're getting, you know, a little more of the sweeter caramel. You're getting a little bit more of the raisiny caramel sure. versus that midpoint caramel. I think a lot of recipes in, in uh, How to Brew had Crystal 60 in them. I think that's because of what I was using at the time mm-hmm. back in the mid-'90s. But, well, uh, and I think, you know, the interesting thing is... Like the pHs that we're talking about for boil and mash and all that, and yeah. you know what kind of boil and how long to boil and you know what ingredients to use and all that has come down to us over a long period of time on lots of people brewing, mm-hmm. and it seems like they've settled on this these these numbers and these ranges because that's really what worked best. Yeah. I mean, now they're figuring out, yeah, you know, those that's what really what works for you. But, you know, figuring out why. Right. Yeah. Now they're figuring yeah. out why when, you know, we already should be doing, you know, those those uh, specific things. And I but I think that it's it's even more critical now to figure out exactly why because so many home brewers and so many uh, commercial brewers are trying to change things up. They're trying yeah. to come out with a better way of doing something. So you know the the burners changed, or you know people are trying to you know short boils. Yeah, they're they're trying to come up with new new ways of doing things. Uh, so it's good to understand what the potential impact of changing something is, mm-hmm. and what the downside would be. That is, when you you know to change something is great, but you got to know you know what the, you know be able to measure the result of that change. Yeah. Well, you know it's interesting um, at the recent homebrew conference in Baltimore. Um, the Brulosophy guys served a beer that you know was one of their short and shoddy beers, where they do a short twenty-minute boil, um, or you know, short mash, short boil, and fast fermentation at a warm temperature. And they served that, and people were surprised at how palatable the beer was. 
Um, but of course, this is what brewed two to three weeks and well stored prior to the event. So it'd be interesting to look at that beer, you know, six months from now and compare it to a control mm-hmm. and say, you know, did it in fact um, stale more or harder than uh, a control beer, you know, brewed with the 90 minute boil and yeah, or just all do a, the other. a force aging test. Yeah, they could yeah. have done that. So, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's great to, you know, challenge conventional, you know, knowledge and, you know, and look for, you know, uh, side-by-side tests and to see how these things work. But, um, you know, very often you need to look beyond, you know, the immediate results and look to longer-term effects as well, which, you know, we may not be doing uh, readily. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, at one point, I remember, I don't know, somebody, maybe I was uh, applying knowledge incorrectly, but I thought crystal malts were, in, were in, in some ways an antioxidant, that they would tend to preserve your beer. Uh, that's the, yeah. maybe, maybe I was construing that with uh, roasted malts. That could be, yeah. yeah. Well, and the interest, I keep saying this, and I've always said, you know, the, the, the highly killed malts, you know, I'm, I'm thinking they're acting like an antioxidant because yeah, yeah. Still I, 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 I see those beers stand up to time and not exhibit any staling. Like your scotch ales and so on. Right. And so I, I wonder, you know, why that was. And my only supposition was that, oh, it's it's acting like an antioxidant, just like coffee and, you know, blueberries and anything dark. Yeah. You know, tends to have those those yeah. attributes, sure. and that may not be the case. I have never seen that proven anywhere. I've never seen really any papers on it or anything. And um, well, they tend to be lower in pH. The dark. The, 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 well, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe, that way. maybe a slightly that's lower pH probably. could have have that effect as well. And if that's the case, well, then just add a little bit of acid to your to your your brew, and you know, there you go. Yeah. Um, but. I'm not sure it's that either. So I don't know. I don't really know the the reason, but I I keep saying that, and a lot of people are repeating it. So I don't really. Well, I think know. in general, the you, if you read food science and so on discussions, they talk uh-huh. about uh, melanoidins being an antioxidant, mm-hmm. um, and of course you can't say. I don't think they mean to imply that all melanoidins are an antioxidant, but some of them, mm-hmm. and so yeah, there could be. Uh, because you have such a range of melanoidins and, you know, Maillard products produced at different temperatures, you know, from low temperature kilning, um, say your Vienna and Munich malts up through your caramel 120 and into your pale chocolate and so on. Um, you know, there probably are classes of melanoidins that are more antioxidant than others. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also was thinking that, you know, as far as this thermal load thing goes, because you would assume, wow, you know, there's got to be a lot of thermal uh, load, total thermal load on on highly kiln malts more than the crystal malts. So why aren't they adding more? I think maybe you know they've essentially burnt off all these compounds that uh, all these volatiles yeah. that could yeah. contribute to uh, you know the the staling or the flavor stability problem, and so they've taken it to that point where that's that's now not an issue anymore. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, big loads. Thermal loads. <laughs> oh, th- well, I'm talking about some other Think of a hot thermal load. I'm t- t- talking about hot loads. How about Adam and Eve? Oh, yeah. They've uh, they've got uh, some, some uh, hot stuff there. No doubt about it. <laughs> Vivo just ate. It's not... Um, Is that why she looks like she's about to throw up? No, uh, you go to adamandeve.com and use the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, at adamandeve.com. And they're going to give you more. They're going to give you... You get the Jamil load. (laughs) The Jamil load. They're going to give you um, free shipping. They're going to give you a free gift for her or him. A free gift for you. (laughs) And a free gift for... Both of you. He was giving me the both of you sign. Whoa, whoa. Uh, right. And then 
you're going to get uh, six free DVDs, adult DVDs, for a total of 10, count them, 10 gifts. Free shipping, a gift for, for her or him, a gift for you, a gift for the both of you, and uh, the six DVDs. Wow, that's a great deal. That's a bunch of stuff. All you got to do, go to adamandeve.com, use the off code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, and uh, they will send you out a big load of uh, great items. Oh, and the the clit buster, or buster, bumper, the clit bumper. Bevo was telling me. Oh, that's the one for both of you. She's really excited about she's, the clit bumper. She must have some field experience on that. Uh, she's probably got like 10 of them. Yeah. Um, and so so she wanted to remind me. One, I, I guess one of the one of the gifts is the clit bumper. She She's nodding yes that she, she has uh, confirmed that that's true. Just got to make sure you, you know. That. <laughs> right. If you're, right. If you're overhung, you may not get that far. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. You may not be able to reach all the way in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Got to get there. When you bottom out, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going new territory and, and then, man, that's shallow. That's Don't, right. You know, and then you, you change you know. Reposition your bumper. <laughs> right. You'd have to. Like, you put it in place you want. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Up and down the, just yeah. tie it on. Put put like a uh, like one of those uh, like a door stop things you put on your guitar. To, uh, change the key, right? One of those, one of those fret things. Yeah, just get a, a ping pong ball and a string to hang there. <laughs> you know. They returned you on new product. Okay, we'll pass that on to them. All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll wrap up uh, thermal loading right after this. Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company says making great beer is hard. Making the same great beer every day is harder. Brewers Publications announces its latest release for breweries of any type and size. Quality Management, an essential guide for brewers by Mary Pelletieri. Proper quality management for small, regional, and national breweries is critical. Whether you are an established business or brand new, learn the best ways to create and manage a quality system in your brewery. This book will guide you in developing a comprehensive program that will grow with your brewery, help ensure quality processes in the brewery, and continue providing great beer for your fans. Quality management for breweries is critical for continued success. This guidebook teaches you to integrate quality management in every level of the operation. It will guide you in developing a comprehensive program to ensure quality processes in your brewery. Quality management, an essential guide for brewers, now available from Brewers Publications. Learn more at brewerspublications.com. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a brew 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift. When you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. heard about White Lab's Pure Pitch Yeast. Pure Pitch is yeast grown right in its final packaging. That means yeast that has never been exposed to the environment. And White Lab's Pure Pitch Yeast for homebrewers is now available to everyone at homebrew retailers nationwide. Easy to use, perfectly sized, and ready to pitch. White Lab's yeast packaged using their FlexCell process ensures the purest yeast on the market. Visit whitelabs.com to learn more about Pure Pitch, FlexCell technology, and how it's created. Then visit a homebrew retailer near you for your own perfectly sized package of Pure Pitch yeast. And you can say hello to your own little friend. www.whitelabs.com I've had it! I am never- 
never putting hops in my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your f***ing face right the f*** off your f***ing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a homebrew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber-special Secret Elite Bare Bones Club where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy shit. NicoBrew.com. N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W. Nico Brew, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're discussing uh, what a big load uh, everybody is. Uh, So what's the takeaway for people from this show? I want people to have something possibly actionable that they can do. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think one take one takeaway is um, both the total thermal load of the boiling process and the work composition affect the amount of milliard intermediaries and in turn those determine the rate of staling of the beer and the magnitude of staling mm-hmm. of the beer. So, in other words, and so going back to our definition of what uh, total thermal load is, it's the length of the boil, the intensity of the boil, um, the amount of convection in the boil, you know, the amount of transfer of the wort to the surface where these volatiles can, can evacuate. Um, and, uh, and the, you know, um, pH and other, you know, sundry factors as well. Um, in looking, you know, and for the home brewer, looking at your boil, you know, what do you do need to do to minimize the total thermal load? Um, you know, you want to boil enough, but not too much. You want to boil, uh, to get the volatiles out. Um, and depending on the intensity of the boil, that may be shorter or longer uh, to, to do that. Um, you also have the, um, the amount of turnover of the wort to consider. So um, I think, a, you know, uh, a good rolling boil, not too intense, not too, you know, not too hot, um, um, Will and and for a sufficient amount of time, anywhere from sixty to ninety minutes. Um, although, you know, other recent studies, such as you know those on brewerosophy with short boil times, seem to can indicate that you can brew very good tasting beers with short boil times. Um, we also we kind of need to look uh, down the road at those batches and see what the flavor stability is of a short boil versus a longer boil. Um, well, and also if you're if you're you know looking at buying some new brew equipment, then you know perhaps you know burner design is yes. something of yeah. importance. And uh, kettle shape. So you know, like we mentioned, yeah. the, the right. wider the better in a, in a way. Right. Yeah. Something with good surface area where you get good turnover turnover the wort. A good broad burner, with lot, you know, well distributed, um, is going to be less intense and less you know um, less damaging to the wort. Than a very intense, you know, single flame source on in a small area. Mm-hmm. There you go. I think that's some uh, solid information. Yeah. yeah, I keep thinking cool. of that Blickman burner. That uh, I think it's not like one hundred sixty nine dollars or something. That floor standing mm-hmm. burner. Those things. That's a great burner. It's really. Oh yeah, it spreads mm-hmm. the heat out really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one of our fine sponsors. Check them out. BlickmanEngineering dot com. Yeah, uh, they're uh, innovating then, your brew day. Yeah. 
And, John, you're going to um, The new anvil burner, too, that oh. uh, we showed at the show. Mm-hmm. Um, similar, very similar design, but uh, new, new design, new casting, mm-hmm. very lightweight, low cost, but a very efficient burner. Mm-hmm. Um, so another good choice. There you go. Check, that out. Check them out at anvilbrewing.com. All right. Uh, well, that's it. I think another fine show. Uh, if you're listening live, stay tuned. We're going to do a, a live Q&A right after this. Uh, hopefully, Tasticles can stay for, for another one. My Tasties can stay, yes. There you go. Good. good. The Tasties will Get remain. some real good answers on these questions. Right. Right. I'll, make, <laughs> I'll have more questions than answers. Well, and if you, if you enjoy programming like this, don't forget to check out the other shows on the Brewing Network. Don't forget to uh, you know check out things like the Brewing Network store. So you go there, buy yourself a hoodie, a hat, um, a, a steering wheel lock for your car, any of those things, and it goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and helps keep shows like this on the air. Until then, everybody, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everyone. 